hope um, that you're encouraged by my story and just what um, God has been doing in my life recently. So um, I just wanted to start by sharing a little bit of my testimony with you guys. Um, So I graduated from Central High School in 2017. And when I graduated high school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. That's probably common for a lot of people who've just graduated high school, but um, I really didn't even know if I wanted to go to college, um, but I knew that that was what was expected of me. So I started looking into colleges and ended up going to Missouri Western for my first year of college. Um, I went there not because I loved the school, but um, I actually had a full ride scholarship. Um, I had an opportunity to be on the track team. Um, It was close to my house, and so I just decided, why not? Might as well uh, pick somewhere that I can go for free and stay close to my family. Um, But that year um, was just a really dark year for me. Um, None of my roommates were Christians. Um, there, I didn't really get involved in any of the Christian organizations there, and I blamed it on the busyness of track. I never spent time um, in the Word with my, never um, spent time with God and abiding, and my faith was just very stagnant. And I even got caught up in some of, you know, the high school, I mean, the college athletics life, uh, the partying life up there. And that year, I just really felt um, like my life had no purpose. That whole year, I'd been praying to God that he would show me uh, what path to take in life, like what, what major to pick. I didn't even really know that. And every time I decided on a major, um, I felt good about it for a while. And then after a few months, it would start to feel unsatisfying again. And I just felt like God wasn't talking to me and he wasn't answering my prayers Um, I actually changed my degree five times the first year of college. So I was really just, really had no direction in my life at that time. And I just felt very um, uncertain. I'm a planner, like Bob talked about. I like Excel spreadsheets and everything. So since I had no plan for my life, I felt like my life had no purpose. So going into the summer after my first year of college, um, still wasn't, happy, still didn't have a direction for my life, and I was constantly thinking about what I wanted to do next, and it was just a constant stress in my life trying to decide what I wanted to do, and I just thought of every option. I was like, maybe I should go into the military. Maybe I should, you know, take a gap year and just work. I really had no clue what I wanted to do. And I was frustrated with God because I felt like I was in the perfect position to be used by God. I was young, fit, single, and I had no other plan for my life. And I just didn't understand why he wasn't talking to me, why he wasn't, you know, just sending a message from heaven like, do this with your life. And I just didn't understand what God was waiting for. And so finally, after weeks of constantly stressing over this um, and just it being like on the forefront of my mind for weeks, um, I finally came to a breaking point. I'd been living in an apartment by myself that summer, and one night I was just, after just like being stressed for so long, I just finally had a breakdown, and I was angry. I was angry at God. Um, And for the first time in my life, I cried out to God, and I asked him why he wasn't using me and why he wasn't telling me 
what to do with my life. And for the first time, God answered me. So, and God revealed to me that this whole time, I'd been asking him, you know, what he wanted me to do with my life, but I had been giving him a list of things I had been comfortable with him choosing from. I wasn't actually listening to him, and I wasn't trusting what he wanted to me to do with my life. Um, so that night, for the first time, I fully surrendered my life to Christ. I had always accepted Jesus as my Savior, but for the first time, I accepted him as the Lord of my life. And so for the first time, I prayed the prayer with no agenda of my own, with no list of my own. I prayed, here I am, send me. And instantly, I just, I felt this peace come over me, and I knew that God was calling me to ministry. I knew that I would never be satisfied with my life until I had fully given my life to just serving him and being obedient. However, um, at the time, I was not on the path to do ministry, and so I didn't know what that was going to look like. But I was just happy with the fact that I knew that I was called to ministry. And so at this point, um, I'd been keeping pretty much all of these feelings to myself. Um, I hadn't told my parents about it. I hadn't, they didn't know that I was struggling really with my career path. Um, but the next day, I finally opened up to, all, to a friend about all of this. And I just told her that I finally um, accepted Christ as my Lord, and I was going to follow him, and I felt like I'd been called to ministry. And she told me about this crazy program in Kansas City called Fusion. She was like, yeah, it's this crazy program where you go through four months of intense physical training and emotional training and spiritual training, and they make you do things like stay up all night and hike 20 miles in a day and fight terrorists and kill goats, and then they send you to this country that no other missionaries want to go to for four months. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> So the Holy Spirit must have really been working in my heart at this point because no one in their right mind would have signed up for this program. Um, but I just knew that God had brought her into my life for a reason and told me about this program for a reason. I just felt him tugging on my heart and leading me in that direction. Um, so, and at this point, I still hadn't told my family what was going on. I thought I was crazy. Um, I had been so indecisive the past year, and so I was afraid that if I told them about wanting to change my life like this, that they would just think that I was the girl who cried wolf. And, and I had so many doubts of my own that I wasn't ready to fight off the doubts of other people yet. So here I was with a four-year full-ride scholarship. I had a position on a collegiate, tra collegiate track team. I had a newly signed one-year lease on an apartment that I had literally just finished unpacking like two days before. Um, and I was going to throw it all away to go to a school and pay thousands of dollars to be trained to go overseas where no one else wanted to go and go to a hard country. But through this process, um, the Lord was just so faithful, and he just continued to show me that this is what he was calling me to, and he just continued to answer my prayers and encourage me in a way that I had never experienced before. So the next week, um, I started pursuing this calling. I applied to this crazy program called Fusion, um, and without being accepted, I dropped my classes at Missouri Western. I quit the track team. 
I started looking for someone to sublease my apartment, and I finally told my family about um, what, had, what was going on and just how God was working in my life. At this point, I still wasn't 100% sure um, what God was doing in my life, but I just knew that it needed to change. So I got my acceptance letter to this fusion program a week and a half before the program started, and I packed my bags. Well, they were already packed because I moved out of my apartment a week before, um, but I moved to Kansas City to Midwestern Baptist University um, where I started this, this fusion program. So I survived the crazy semesters of trainings that I talked about earlier. We were trained in things like security, first aid, uh, survival, as well as having classes on things like uh, world religions, evangelism, personal uh, leadership, and language. And we were assigned to the countries we would be serving in two weeks um, into the program. So the girls' teams went to Niger, Kyrgyzstan, Egypt, India, and Nepal. And I really didn't have a preference um, on where I was sent. I didn't really know anything about any of those countries. But the one thing I knew is that I did not want to go to Nepal. So of course, my name was called for Team Nepal. And if you don't know, um, Nepal is that tiny red sliver of a country in between India and China. So yeah, right in the middle of South Asia. And I really struggled with going there because I was so prideful and I felt like, God, I'm already doing so much for you. Like, why can't you at least send me to a country that I want to go to? Um, and I just had so many lies in my head um, about Nepal. I thought I was going to hate the culture. I thought that I was going to hate the people, hate the food. I thought I was going to get fat and my hair was going to fall out. And I would find spiders in my bed every night. Um, and I just had so many uh, lies going through my head. I remember texting my mom multiple times, just texting her like, Mom, I can't do this. And she would always just tell me, yes, I can, yes, you can. And I'd be like, nope, I'm not going to Nepal. Something's going to happen. I'll get hit by a car or something. I'm not going. <laughs> uh, and I just really think that all of this was spiritual warfare. I think that the devil was trying to keep me from doing something that he knew would bring glory to God. And the Lord sustained me throughout uh, this four months of, these four months of doubts. Um, and he just continued, he just made it so obvious that he was sending me to Nepal. And I knew that I had to swallow my pride and be obedient because there's no better place to be than in the will of God. So last winter, my five teammates and I, we packed our bags yet again, and we spent the whole spring semester in southern Nepal. And so now we're going to show a short video of my time there.
So as you can tell from that video, um, about 80% of the population of Nepal claim to be Hindu. So there's less than 2% of the population that claim to be uh, professing Christians, and it's actually illegal to proselytize in Nepal. However, this didn't pose a problem for us because we were technically there as tourists and culture students and not as missionaries. Um, but the spiritual darkness of Nepal was just so evident um, right from the start. Everywhere you go, you see, you see false gods, you see idols, you see temples, you see just every, everywhere you go, on every corner, you just see the evidence of Hinduism. And while we were in the capital, we visited what's known to be the most, popu I mean, the most powerful Hindu temple in Nepal, and it's called Pashpati Temple. This is it up here. If you've listened to anything by David Platt, he's probably talked about this place. He loves talking about Pashpati. Um, but this temple is located on a river, as you can see there. It's one of the most, one of the dirtiest rivers in the world, as you can also see there. Um, but in the, so people bring their deceased loved ones to this temple in order to be cremated there on the banks of that river. And so in the Hindu religion, um, they believe that a body has to be cremated in order for the person's spirit to move on um, to another, another being, to be reincarnated. So at this temple, the bodies are burned, and then they push the, river, the ashes into that river. And this isn't a place where you can go and come out unscathed. The worst thing about this place is you're witnessing a physical representation of a spiritual reality. These bodies are being burned, but their spirits are burning forever in hell because they didn't know about Jesus and his saving grace. 
So my experience at this temple was a big motivator for me throughout my whole time in Nepal. So my team lived in a small town um, surrounded by many smaller villages, um, and there were, there were many, many villages about three, uh, about three hours to half an hour away from us. And there were no missionaries in this area at the time. So our job was to map out the area, um, build relationships with churches and local believers, and evangelize in the areas where there were no known churches. So every day we traveled by public bus to a different village. And so if there was a church in that village, we would set up um, a church training where we would get the members together for about six hours and we would just train them on evangelism and how to grow their church and spread the gospel. And I loved this aspect of the work. I really enjoyed um, church trainings and just getting to equip the local believers. However, if there was not a church in the area, we would attempt to do evangelism in that village. So what this looked like is um, we based it off Luke 10 when Jesus sends out his 72 disciples. So Basically, um, a bus would drop all of us off in this village, and we would split up into groups of two or three, and we would just walk around and pray and wander around the village until someone hopefully invited us in for tea. And luckily, um, Nepalis are very hospitable people, so um, it wasn't, usually wasn't too long before we were invited in and got to talk to someone. And then uh, we would use our identity as culture students to start a conversation, talk about religion, and then hopefully get to share the gospel with those people. But evangelism in Nepal is not an easy task. Nepalis are very hospitable, like I said. They love to talk to you. They'll sit for hours and talk. But it's very, very hard to get past cultural barriers when sharing the gospel. One of the most common responses we got when sharing was that people were not willing to give up their Hinduism because they, if they did, they would lose all of their cultural traditions. You see, the devil has been very crafty in South Asia. He has intertwined the culture and the religion so much that it's almost impossible, it would seem, for people to convert without losing their culture. It's not like um, America, where you know our religion and our culture are very separate, and you can change religions with really no consequences. Converting to Christianity in Nepal, the best case scenario would mean you no longer get to participate in Hindu festivals. But worst case scenario, and a more common scenario, is that you will be kicked out of your home and completely ostracized from society. There was a woman named Sarmila, that me and one of my teammates visited almost weekly. She's the one who doesn't look like us in that picture. <laughs> um, and we got to visit her um, about every week for the last two months of our time in Nepal. She is 21 years old, she has a four-year-old child, and she's married to a 36-year-old man who she was arranged to marry. Um, she had no job, no hobbies, Basically, her entire life was devoted to chasing around her child who had no respect for her because women are not respected um, in Nepali culture. And she wasn't even allowed to leave the house without her husband's permission. And this is probably what her life was going to look like for the rest of her life. It was never going to change. And she was our neighbor, so uh, we got to go to her more often than others, um, and we got to share with her multiple times. We got to bring her a Bible um, and read her Bible stories and just 
get into the word with her, and it was obvious that she was very interested in Christianity and very interested in learning more about Jesus. But we could only talk about Jesus when her husband wasn't home. Um, And every time we left, she had to hide the Bible from her husband. Her husband had warned her that if she ever became a Christian or even went to church, that he would kick her out of the house. So if Sarmala were to believe in Jesus, she would lose everything. She would lose her husband, her home, her son, and her entire livelihood. And this was a really, really hard situation for us because what do you say to a person in that situation? I think it's really easy for Americans to, you know, we think, oh, Jesus is worth it, and the afterlife is so much more important than this life. But how could I, who risks nothing by choosing Jesus, uh, tell a person that who would lose everything? We're so blessed in America. When someone becomes a Christian, um, there's probably no real consequences, like I said earlier. But that's not the case in much of the world. Those conversations um, were so hard because I felt like I had no right to say to these people um, to give up their entire lives because from our cultural viewpoint, um, it's just impossible for us to understand the sacrifice that those people make in order to follow Jesus. And Sarmala's story is not an uncommon one in Nepal. That is a very common scenario for a lot of people living there, especially the women. Um, So while we were there, Sarmila never came to believe uh, during her time, but I think it was very evident that Christ was moving in her heart, and we set up a local believer to continue meeting with her when we left. So we're hoping that one day she will become a sister in Christ. And while my time in Nepal was uh, challenging, um, very challenging, um, God used it in so many ways to just teach me and to grow my faith while I was over there. I remember one week we spent um, in the foothills of the Himalayas, and I just remember I was sitting on a hill one day um, just reading my Bible, and the Himalayas were in the background. This is a picture of my view there. The picture does not do it justice. You can't capture the Himalayas in a picture. Um, But I was looking out over those great mountains, and I was just thinking about how far Christ had brought me this past year of my life. I was thinking, at this time last year, I was probably sitting at the desk at my dorm, and if I looked up, I probably would have seen a periodic table glaring back at me. And not the Himalayas. Not that doing my chemistry homework was a bad thing, but it was just so much less than what God had for me. I had settled for a comfortable, ordinary life, um, but God wanted me to live an extraordinary life. And he doesn't just want that for me. He wants that for every single one of his followers. There are so many Christians living in our culture who are living a life far below the life that God has called them to. You see, the thing is, Satan wants us to stay in our tame, lukewarm Christianity. And we've become so content in our culture with so much less than what God has for us. God calls every single Christian to live a life of unconditional obedience. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to become a missionary or devote your entire life to ministry. Um, Obedience looks different for every single person, and God can use obedience, your obedience, right where you are. A life of 
And a life of unconditional obedience isn't radical Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. That's the gospel. You know, Jesus came down, the Son of God came down to earth, and he humbled himself and was killed on a cross and died for us, for sinners, and died the death that we deserved in order to save us from the penalties of sin and death. And if we believe that, then we're supposed to give our, our entire lives to being obedient to him. And so I want to challenge all of you to look at your life and ask God if you're walking in co- complete obedience with his will. And I'm no, by no means saying that I'm perfect. I'm disobedient all the time. I make mistakes. I doubt. But maybe there's something in your life that you know God is calling you to and you're too scared to pursue it. That was me for a whole year of my life. I was too scared to pursue God's will for me. But I just want to encourage you um, to seek God's will and be fully obedient to his will. And maybe that um, he's calling you to share the gospel with a coworker. Maybe he wants you to switch career paths. Maybe he wants you to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or adopt a child or whatever it may be. Um, his, just seek his will and seek to be obedient to that will. God's plan for your life is so much better, more fulfilling, and more exciting than anything you could ever plan for yourself. You just have to be willing to trust him and really believe that his ways are higher than your ways. A.W. Tozer once wrote, With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. So I want to ask you, are you taking advantage of that favor? Are you allowing a good, all-knowing, all-powerful God to lead your rule and lead your life? Or are you trying to make a good life for yourself by your limited and feeble power? So I just want to encourage you all to surrender your life to God's will and trust him with unconditional obedience. Don't be content to live a life subpar to the life that God calls you to. So, And overall, I'm just so thankful that God never stopped pursuing me and drawing me to the better life that he had planned for me. So now you all are probably thinking, what's next? Um, And I know Bob talked about this earlier, and a lot of you probably already know this, but as I pursue um, a life of obedience, God has given me the opportunity to spend a year abroad uh, doing mission work in Iceland. So if you don't know, Iceland is that tiny red dot in between Greenland and Norway. Yeah, I think that's Norway up there. Um, So... You, now you guys are probably thinking, Nepal to Iceland. Like, obviously, they're not close. How did that happen? Um, so let me explain. I've had a heart for Scandinavia ever since I visited Northern Europe on uh, a vacation my senior year of high school. I spent six weeks traveling around Northern Europe, um, not, not for a mission trip, yeah, just for vacation. And I got to stay with local friends, and so I was able to meet a lot of local people there and just get a sense of the religious culture of those countries. And I was so struck by how secular these countries had become and just the spiritual darkness that was over there. Statistics typically show that a majority of people in Scandinavia are Christians, but nobody has a relationship with Christ. Nobody goes to church. The churches don't even preach the true gospel. Um, And the people's view of Jesus is just very skewed. I remember um, asking one Norwegian boy what he believed about Jesus. 
And he told me that we needed Jesus to establish our morals, but now that we're moral people, we don't need Jesus anymore. And he told me that right after telling me all these stories about all these crazy parties he had gone to and things he'd done. I was like, yeah, we're moral. We don't need Jesus anymore. Um, however, since these, Christ- since these countries look like Christian countries on paper, um, there's not much work, uh, not much mission work going on in these countries. And I just had a burden for, have had a burden for Scandinavia ever since I experienced that. So my long-term goal is to live in Scandinavia for the rest of my life and plant gospel-centered churches there. And Nepal was a stepping stone that God used in order to give me the confidence and the ability um, to to pursue this goal. So if you guys remember um, a while back, like Bob talked about, um, Logan and Carla Douglas came and spoke here at Wellspring. And I was actually in Nepal at the time, but, so I didn't hear them, but my mom, knowing that um, I had this dream and this goal, um, told me about them. And she told me, you know, there's this couple planning an English-speaking church in Iceland, and that was exactly what I wanted to do in Scandinavia. So it just seemed like the perfect opportunity. And the religious culture in Iceland is very similar to the religious culture in Scandinavia. Um, So I emailed them um, about a month before I left Nepal and set up a call with them for about three days after I got home from Nepal um, and just to see what the opportunities were and hopefully to work with them uh, for three months just to learn about, uh, learn about how to work in that culture. But as had been the theme of my life the past few months, God had more for me and he wanted me to stay for a year. So, um, since then, God has been working everything together so perfectly. Um, finances have been coming together. Dates have been working out. I've found a place to live for the year. And I, I even got to visit Iceland with the Millers and the Hines uh, for a week about a, m- a month ago. So September 8th, I will be moving to Reykjavik, the capital city of Iceland. And I will be moving there to stay for at least a year, but I'm not making any plans because those don't seem to work out for me. Um, And I just can't wait to see uh, what God has for me in this next season of life and to see how God works. So, but I am still in need of some support for this upcoming trip to Iceland. And this support comes in two forms. The first form is prayer. So I have some prayer cards on the back table, and I would just love if all of you would take one of those cards home with you and Put it on your refrigerator or somewhere like that and just use it as a reminder uh, to please pray for me and just pray that I'm obedient um, in my, as I am, or just that I'm obedient in Iceland and that God's glory would be spread throughout all of Iceland. And the second form of support is financial support. And there are two ways um, that you can help. The first option is you can give a one-time gift Um, And you can just use the little offering envelopes in the back of the pews and write my name on it and just put it in in the offering box. And that one-time gift will be used for things like um, plane tickets so I can come home and see my sister get married and unforeseen expenses and emergency expenses and just um, things of that nature. And then the second uh, option and where the majority of my funding will be coming from is monthly supporters. So... This looks like committing to supporting me with X amount of dollars per month for 12 months. 
So if that's something um, you would be interested in, there are cards on the back table, little support cards that you just fill out with your name, number, email, and the amount that you would like to support to give me per month. Um, and I will be getting in contact uh, with more details about that if um, you're interested in that. And that will go just towards everyday living expenses, food, transportation, just um, everyday expenses. So, And um, I will be back at the back table at the end of this service if you guys want to talk more about that or talk more about uh, Nepal. I have some things that I brought back from Nepal for you guys to see over there as well. So I just want to thank um, everybody for coming today and for listening to my story, and thanks to Bob for giving me the opportunity to share. Well, I think um, a couple things stand out. Obviously, you know, the mission of our church, um, create a new normal for the next generation. We want more and more young people, really all people, um, to continue to be obedient to the things God calls them to do, whatever that is, wherever that is. Um, and so I think, <clears throat> I think about just the ripple effects of, of obedience or disobedience in our life. When we obey God, the number of people that are potentially, potentially impacted by our obedience to him um, and then the flip side of that, when we are disobedient, when we allow fear, um, excuses, whatever it might be to keep us from doing the thing God's, how many people don't benefit from that? Don't get to, to, to be in the, the blessings of, of God and what he might have had in store for them had we been obedient to step out in whatever place that might be in, in your life and what God has called you to. One conversation really stood out to me as she as she's talking here today. It's really hard for us to understand what it's like in other countries in terms of how people interpret faith and what those consequences mean. Logan, who's the church planter, has been developing a relationship with a guy who owns a bookstore. Just a very slow, long process of just getting to know someone and earning trust. And over the course of time, he has heard his story. Um, Icelanders are very closed, and so it's really hard to kind of get their story out of them. But he started to kind of put some pieces together that this guy had been through some stuff in his life, basically. And, and so he said, well, how, how do you deal with that? Um, and basically his answer was, well, you either get over it or you kill yourself. Like those are the options for people in um, a lot of these countries in, in northern Europe that have just kind of said goodbye to the gospel. And um, it's, it's a dark and, and desperate place. Um, that desperately needs uh, folks there um, spreading the light of Christ. So they need prayers. Um, they need encouragement. Um, we're going to continue to support and encourage those folks there as well. So I'm going to pray for us.